when we started this series, we, we introduced the idea of the comparison game. Now, the comparison game is where you look left and you look right to determine whether or not you're winning. Compare yourself to those around you to determine if you're winning or losing. And if you have more, you're winning. If you have more talent, if you have more money, if you have better looks, you're winning. And if you have not, you're losing. We also talked about how in the lives of our 6th through 12th graders that they are growing up in a day and age that's much different than ours because our comparison game when we were in middle school consisted of the people directly around us. We only had to compare ourselves to the people in our classes and at our school and even in our youth group. But what students are growing up with right now is a comparison game where they, they're comparing themselves not to tens of people or hundreds of people, but thousands, and for some of them, depending on what social networks are involved in, literally millions of people. And so if the question is, am I better than, based on those around me, those who I have exposure to, all of our students put themselves inevitably in the category of the have-nots. And in the comparison game, they find themselves losing. Because when you broaden that circle wide enough, you will find people that are bigger, faster, smarter, better looking. They have more, they've done more, they've achieved more, they are greater. And so our students walk around, and many of them struggle in the area of self-worth because in the comparison game, they're losing. Now, so last week, we really dove into the concept of the past. And so as we're looking at the comparison game, and we're looking at the haves and have-nots, we're really trying to help our students think through what they do have that's a value. They have things in their lives that are of value. Now, a lot of times we look at our past, and that's something that we would look at of something that, that has no value. If somebody said, oh, that person has a past, we, we kind of mean that in a negative way. And we focus in on the things that have gone wrong, the things that that person has done that has made them a have-not, that put them in that category of less than. However, as we looked at, at Scripture and we, we kind of focused on the fact that Jesus came to save sinners, we say that that past that you have, that the failings that you have, are actually what put you in position to be saved by God. Because without that past, without that sin, without that baggage, Christ did not come to save you. And so Christ came to save sinners. And so the past is actually something that God can use to redeem for his glory. Now, as we, as we move on, we're not talking about the past. We're not talking about the future. We're talking about today. Now, one thing that I have to be encouraged with, and I think you may have to be encouraged with, and our students have to be encouraged with, is to focus on what's going on right here, right now. So we, we have a saying on the third floor on Wednesday nights. What we, what we ask students to do is put phones up and put your heads up. Phones up, heads up. And the reason we say phones up, heads up is because we don't want you to miss what's going on up here, and we don't want you to miss those around you. So what happens a lot is we bury ourselves in issues from the past, thinking about what we did wrong, the embarrassing moments, and in fact, if you're somebody who's wired in specific ways, like you may um, have a little bit of a, a coffee spill on your shirt, or you may inadvertently wave at somebody that didn't see you in the morning, or you may have one negative interaction around 7 a.m. with a, a husband, a wife, or a kid, and all day long, that's what you think about. Like, it just, it just weighs on you. And it's like, yeah, it was earlier in the day, but that's still where my focus is at. And there are times when you're reflecting on family dynamic and you think back to not what happened last week, last month, or even last year, but even a decade ago. And any time that certain situation comes up, your mind automatically goes to, 
the past. And there are others who are so ambitious, who, who are so focused on what could be, that our minds are drawn to the future. Maybe it's anxieties. Maybe it's like, oh, I sure hope this works out because if it doesn't, here's what we're looking at. Or maybe it's ambition in the area of success. It's like, I just, I, I, I just waiting for that day. I'm just waiting for that day. I'm just waiting for that day. And our hope rests on what happens in the future. And so we live these lives, whether it's focusing on the past, focusing on the future, that's devoid of focusing on the present. But what happens when we do that is we miss the fact that God has called us right now, right here, for a specific reason. God has aligned our lives to put us where we are right now to do his will. And so we wake up every morning having a call on our life to do what God's called us to, but if our focus is on the past or our focus is on the future, we may miss what's happening right now. And so on Wednesday nights, we do. We do try to help our students focus on the right here right now. And so we encourage them in a simple way, and some of them take us up on, a, on it, but many of them reject it. Phones up, heads up, because we don't want to miss what's going on in here, and we don't want to miss who may need our attention. Now, in Scripture, uh, we started talking about last week the story of Moses, and we looked at his, the kind of the beginning phase of his of his story, where he was born at, with this kind of disadvantaged life. He was born into slavery, but instead of being raised as a slave, he was born at a time where his death was demanded. Any children that were born, any male children that were born at that time were supposed to be killed. But instead of being killed, he gets thrown into a basket and then put in a river. And from there, he gets adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So he grows up in this upbringing where he's, he's not a part of his people and he's not a part of the people that adopted him. He kind of lives this hybrid style life where he's never a part of anyone. And so he goes on from there, deals with some anger, sees his own people being mistreated, murders somebody, and then runs away. And so the introduction we have to Moses is a guy who has a past, a guy who has an, incredibly, an incredible disadvantage compared to those in leadership because he's not born of those people, and even a disadvantage compared to his own people because he didn't get to be a part of them growing up. He gets this awkward start. But as we continue, we'll see that God actually has a calling on his life in the right here Right now, so in Exodus chapter three, Exodus chapter three, we're going to walk through a pretty lengthy stretch of passage. And so, if you have a Bible or the Bible app, we will be in the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB translation. And if you if you don't have digital that you can switch to, and you like following on uh, following along with the exact words, uh, we will be on the screen as well. Exodus three. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding his, the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. And I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now we we get to the call on Moses' life. This is the defining moment. And I think some of us look back at our life and there are different times that we've looked at and we said, oh, that was the opportunity. And some of us look back on opportunities that came our way and we have stories of victory and accomplishment where that opportunity came our way, we saw it, we jumped on it, and our life changed forever because of it. And then others of us have uh, memories that we look back and all we can think of is opportunity cost. We did not take that opportunity and it has cost us dearly. It was a watershed moment in our life when the opportunity came whether we took it or we didn't. And Moses looks at God and asks the question, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? This is not a guy who is obstinate. This is not a guy who rejects the will of God. This is a guy who looks at what God's calling him to and says, I'm not enough. I don't have the talent. I don't have the skills. I don't have the ability. I'm not good enough for something like that. So God answers. I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. So Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God took a guy with a past. Took a guy with a past to accomplish one of the biggest accomplishments in the history of God's chosen people that's ever been accomplished. If you actually look back at, at Jewish history, like the defining watershed moment of the Jewish people is the Exodus. Like This is the thing. If, if you study the Old Testament, if you study the calling of the Jewish people, this is the watershed moment in that nation's history, where they go from a place of slavery into the promised land. And Moses, the guy with the past, the guy who's less than, the guy who doesn't have the skill set that you think he should have, is the guy that God calls. So the defining characteristic we're looking for in an individual to do the will of God is not ability. Simply faithfulness. Now even in Moses' story, you may, you may be able to relate to this because I know I can relate to this. There are times where there are things that are asked of us and we look at our own abilities and we need some reassurance that it's going to be okay. We need some reassurance that, that even in our own shortcomings, 
that God will be there with us. And so God looks at Moses and reassures him, hey, listen, I'm calling you to something, but I will be there with you. And not only will I be there with you, there is a finish line. You're going to know you're successful when? When the people of Israel and you yourself gather together back on this mountain to worship my name. And so when you get to that moment, you need to think back to this calling right now. When you get to that finish line where you know that the will of God has been accomplished and will continue to be accomplished, think back to this moment right now. And for some of us right now, in our own lives, God is calling us to something. He's calling us to faithfulness today. Some of it, it could be in the area of next steps. We've talked about next steps as a congregation, asking the question in the area of your time and your talents and your treasure, what is it that God is calling you to? And so for some of us, it is simple faithfulness into living out what God has called us to right now with our time and talents and treasures. For me personally, right now, one of the areas that God is calling me to faithfulness is my next door neighbor. So we moved in back at the end of last year, probably three weeks from now. It's the weekend right after Thanksgiving. And so we moved in right after Thanksgiving. So four weeks? Anyway. We moved in four weeks. And so we had this neighbor that was there. He was there for all of two months. And so we talked to him and stuff like that. But that house next to us has sat vacant for over six months. And so uh, my wife and I, thinking about next steps and how we can be proactive in our community, have actually been praying for our next door neighbor, whoever that would be. And so we're like, God, we don't know what you're going to call us to. We don't know who you're going to place there. But we know that whoever you place there, you have called us to minister to. And so a couple of weeks ago, we have this new neighbor that the house finally sells, and they move in, and it, it's a, a lady named Becky and her husband, James. And so talked to Becky, and she said, hey, listen, we're relatively quiet people, but our grandkids are not. And so we have um, 10 grandkids that will be here all the time. And so um, we... You know, the first couple of days go by and no grandkids are there, I guess, as they're unpacking boxes. But there's this continual stream of grandkids that come into this home. I mean, they are there all the time. And so what we are praying through right now, having preschoolers and a kindergartner ourselves, being positioned strategically next door to this kind of revolving door of family members who are receiving care from grandma and grandpa, we're just asking the question, what is our calling for that family? And not just the generation that lives in the home, but all the generations, the three generations represented that are there all the time. And so our act of faithfulness is consistent engagement with those people. And so we're looking at different ways, whether it's uh, uh, bags of kettle corn that were popped for Fall Fest that had some extras and taking over as we're doing Christmas and Thanksgiving baking and stuff like that. Simply providing some amenities for the the grandkids that are there, I mean, because here's, here's the reality. My kids kick balls and throw stuff over the fence all the time. Um, but maybe instead of just leaving them in the yard, be intentional about stocking the yard with some stuff for those grandkids. And so I, I don't mean that I want my kids throwing stuff over, but we'll take it to the front door. But we're, we're wrestling with, we're wrestling with praying through what it means to be faithful in the here and now in that one specific case. And I think if, if you're honest with yourself, you take time to think that the Lord is calling you in specific ways and everywhere from the mundane day-to-day to some of the big things that the Lord has placed on your heart that you may look back on and say, this is a watershed moment in my life. This is huge. If I go down this path, my life will forever be changed. And if I go down this path, my life will forever be changed. But the reality is, whichever path I go down, my life will forever be changed. 
It goes on in verse 15. God also said to Moses, Say this to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. Verse 17, And I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen to this, Moses. They will listen to what you say. Then you, along with the elders of Israel, must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. However, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go, even under force from a strong hand. You see, there's this, this reassurance that to Moses, it's not going to be as easy as you would like it to be. You're going to go into the situation, I'm calling you to something, and you're going to face adversity. You're going to rally the troops, and you're going to go to the king of Egypt, and you go to him, and you're going to say, hey, let us go out for a three-day journey to worship and sacrifice to God. But he's not going to let you go. And even if there was strong force applied, he's not going to let you go. But when I stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles that I will perform in it, after that, he will let you go. And I'll give these people such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. And so we have this reassurance that God gives Moses that you will face opposition. In fact, you're going to face such opposition that without the hand of God, you will not overcome. But God has promised his faithfulness that when he calls Moses to something, he will see him through it. And I think that's reassurance that we need. Because the Lord may not have explicitly told you in your own life that he will be there in specific ways, like cursing the Egyptians and the plagues that we see later on in the book of Moses, the book of Exodus. You may not get the full story about the way that God will intervene on your behalf when you're following through with what God's called you to. But we can rest assured countless times throughout Scripture God reassures his people that when they act in faithfulness to what they have been called to by God, that God will be there with them. That we will face circumstances that look beyond our control because guess what? They're beyond our control. They are. The biggest things we do for God are only enabled by God. And if we could do it in our power, they wouldn't be things of the Lord. And so some things that we're going to encourage your students to reflect on, I want to encourage you even to reflect on as you think through what it means to be faithful today to what God is calling you to, is that number one, God loves you just as you are. He loves you. The idea that you have to clean yourself up in order to be loved by God is not true. God loves you. His love is all-encompassing Regardless of your past, regardless of your fears for your future, God loves you. And right now, you are exactly who you need to be faithful to God and what he's calling you to right now. Now, that doesn't mean 
That doesn't mean we reject opportunities to grow. That doesn't mean we reject the Spirit working in our life. But the idea that God would call you to something that you, you just know. There's just something in you that says, this is a today calling. If he's calling you to it today, then you're exactly who you need to be today. Not only are you who you need to be, you are where you need to be. You're where? Strategically placed right here and right now for a reason. And so in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, God has called you to that location, the physical context, for a reason. You are more strategically located than anyone else for where God has placed you. And you have everything you need. If you have faith in God that God will be there with you, dependence that God will see you through, you have what you need. And you have today. For those of us who have a past, and we view it as something that's just full of baggage and pain, I I want you to know you have today. God uses today to redeem our past. God uses our today to show that he has been with us throughout our past. Do you know that for Moses, one of the things that was so unique to him is that he knew the culture of both the Israelites and the Egyptians? Do you know that past of being thrown out from his own people, literally tossed into a river, but being adopted by Egyptians? Do you know that that is what uniquely prepared him to speak with the leaders of both groups? Like his past that a lot of people that would look at as a disadvantage was something that God used to redeem in the very present moment of Moses' life. And so before we discount or discredit our past, we just have to ask the question, am I willing to be faithful today? Because if we're faithful today, all sorts of God's redemption for our past can occur. Let's pray.